Good morning, church. You're all very welcome. It's great to see you all here and so many new faces. We're taking a break from the book of Galatians this week to look at our seven-part series called Family Matters. So as we get into that, I want to read to us from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. This text describes um, the very first church, the early church after Pentecost. And we see there that after God births his church through the preaching of the Apostle Peter, um, the scriptures give us insight as to what mattered to the church. And it shows us what should matter to us. And so it says in Acts 2.42, after 3,000 souls were added that day, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is God's word. So again, if you weren't here six weeks ago when we began our Family Matters series, I'll give you a little recap of what's been going on. So six weeks ago, we looked at the book of Ephesians, where Paul um, has a message to the church about their unity, about what God has created. And what we see in the book of Ephesians is God describes us in two specific ways. He says that we are a building, this isn't the church, you are the church, you are the building, and he says that we are a family, we are members of a household. What that means is that if you are a Christian, then you are not a stranger to us and to God, you are not someone on the outside, you are a member of the household of God, and you have access to your father. And if this is your church, and you, or you want to consider this being your church, then you're not part of a social club. You're part of a family. And this isn't a building, it's your home. We are united together by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we share from his table together in this place. And it's important that we look at each other as a family. Because family gives you, as we learned, identity and it gives you purpose. It is in your family where your first values are formed. It is in your family where that initial direction of your life is decided upon. And as I said in our first sermon, I want us to know what our family is about, why we do the things we do, where we're going, and how we can let these values shape how we live for Jesus in the city. You know, as we learned from Andy last week when he was speaking to us, God is doing a work in the city. You guys are a testimony to that. We want to be used by Jesus. We want to be used by him to, to shape um, not only our church, but our, this entire county by the gospel. So last time we looked at our first fundamental, and if you can't remember what it was, it was this, is that we want to be a church that is founded on Jesus and his words. That everything we do needs to come back ultimately to Jesus. We can't point our, our focus and attention on a person or on a, a system of you know, dogmas that we hold on to, or even a building. The thing that makes us a church that we rise and fall upon is the reality of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what his word says about him. But number two is this, what we're going to look at today, is that we are, want to be a church that places a strong emphasis on the faithful teaching 
of the Bible. So these are the two things that should matter to us as a church. And again, as a member of this church, these are the the values that I want to walk by. I want to be a Christian who values God's word and looks at it in the right way. And if this is your church, again, I hope you do too. And so we're going to look at that fundamental today. What does it mean to faithfully handle God's word? And why should we even care about that in the first place? I would argue this should be a high priority for every church. And the reason for that is because our faith is one that is passed on through speech, through communication. You know, if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, and in this church we believe it is the inerrant, you know, unmistakable word of God, that means that we have a God who speaks. We have a God who communicates to us. Like, think about that for a moment. How many people wonder, is God out there? Would God just speak to them? Would God just show up in their life and make himself known? And yet we know we have a God who speaks. We have someone who is not silent. But he wants to be known, and he has made himself known to us. You know, you can go out at nighttime, maybe if you live in the countryside, not really in the city. You can look up at the stars in the sky and just be blown away by their awe and their majesty. And many people throughout the ages have looked up there and realized how small they were and wondered, you know, is this all there is to life or is there something that goes beyond what we can see? It's what we call natural revelation, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork as Psalm 19.1 says, that this universe points us to the fact that there is a creator. But that knowledge is enough to make us realize that there is something out there, that there is a God. But because of our sin, because of the separation we find ourselves in, outside of a relationship with Jesus, that's all, that's as far as you could really go. You could not go any further than knowing there is someone out there. We could know that there is a God, but we would never know him. The fact that God has spoken to us despite our sin, it tells us he wants us to know him. The God of the universe wants you to know him. And he has chosen to speak primarily through this book, through the Bible. And if God wants to speak to you, and he does through this book, then we should really care what it says inside of here. And we should want to be handling it faithfully, to teach it in a right way, and to hear people and to hear faithful teaching of the word. Now, if you're in this church for any length of time, it should be pretty obvious we do place an emphasis on on teaching. So much of our Sunday morning is built around um, the sermon, devoted to the the word of God. It's central stage in the culture of our service. You know, we begin our service with a time of fellowship, and we end with a time of fellowship. And preceding and before both of those things is a time of worship that just goes into the center of the service, which is the sermon, which is where we focus on the word of God. Um, All the worship beforehand, we do that. It's designed that way to prepare our hearts to hear from the Lord. Our time of worship after the sermon is that we would allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us, to speak to us, to teach us as we reflect and move on the word that has been spoken to us. And so, We want to be a people who are devoted to the Word, who are centered on the Word. But what does it mean to be a faithful teacher of the world? And how do we faithfully handle God's Word? To be faithful means to be loyal. 
Uh, we, were, we, were, we were talking about this um, at men's breakfast yesterday. It means to be like, you know, devoted something, to, to be steadfast and staying true to the facts. Think of a, a, a faithful friend, someone who is loyal to you, who will not betray you. And to teach, well, that should be pretty, pretty self-explanatory. It's imparting knowledge to someone. It's instructing someone on the way they should go and what they should teach. And so to faithfully teach the Bible means that we approach God's word we communicate it to others, and we do so in a way that is true to what God has actually said. We, we look at the books of the Bible in their context, and we allow the Bible to speak for itself. And it's really important we do that, because you can take this book, and you can twist it in such a way that you can make it say whatever you want, rather than letting it say what it actually has to say. For example, uh, there's a group of, of there's a kind of mini subculture online. I won't tell you the name of the group publicly to give them attention. But it's basically these, a, a kind of community of men online. And what they're all about is putting men first, building men up at the expense of women. Their mantra is men should be valued as the prize, that men are the prize that women should want, you know, rather than both being the prize. And they're about you know, men bettering themselves. And there's some good things but here's the thing, one of their fundamental beliefs is that men should be promiscuous and have as many women as they want, but ladies should be singly devoted to one man. And what they actually use to justify their actions is they use the Bible. They say, look at all these texts where all these men of God had multiple wives, Solomon had all these girlfriends and concubines, and if it was okay for them to do it, it must be okay for me to do it. Quite literally, is what to do. They, they, they strip the, the scripture of all its context. They twist it in such a way to justify their sin. And they say, this is what the Bible actually teaches, that it promotes polygamy. That is what we would call unfaithful teaching of the scriptures. Does the Bible promote polygamy? Absolutely not. Does the Bible warn against it? Yes. True, true word and true, uh, true deed. You, know, you, you can look at any person in the Bible who has more than one wife, and their lives are full of trouble. God warns us against it. We are meant, we can only handle one person each, one husband, one wife, that's about it. Someone's laughing here because they know it's true. But you look at the example and the, the chaos that happens when we stray from God's design. And yet people will twist this book to justify these actions. And the problem with this is many people follow after these kinds of people. And the scripture actually tells us that many people will follow after these kind of people. It tells us in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, the apostle Paul, he's writing to his young pastor, his kind of protege in the faith, Timothy. And he warns him about a day that is coming where people will follow after false teachers that will itch their ears and satisfy their cravings. It says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4, the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Kind of sounds a bit like today, if I'm quite honest with you. Again, as much as we have access to the Word of God and to faithful teaching, there is just as much access to like really bad translations of the Bible that take away from the truth of Scripture. We have so much access to bad and false teachers who are deceiving people every day, usually for money. You know, you can, we live in a day where you can call yourself a Christian, go on YouTube, 
find the teacher that you fancy, and that, that's all you have to do. Like, it's madness, and I'm sure the same thing was happening in Timothy's day, just minus like YouTube. So if we are in an age, and we have been in an age ever since, of people not wanting to endure sound teaching, and actually just take God at his word, what's the remedy to this? Paul actually tells us in the first two verses of 2 Timothy 4. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul's um, remedy for this is to keep on teaching the word of God. He wasn't to look around and see people wandering off for an easy message, wandering off into sin. He was to keep his eyes on the prize. He was to keep his eyes on Jesus and just preach the word faithfully. I think that's a word for us today. See, there, will, there will be a temptation for us at times to shrink back from teaching God's word faithfully. And I don't just mean from the pulpit. I mean when we're talking to our family members, to our friends, to our enemies, to unbelievers, to anyone. We can shrink back from the whole truth of God's word because the reality is God's word is offensive. It's beautiful and it's encouraging and uplifting, but to the, the sinner in us, God's word offends you know, it tells us that we're sinners. It condemns the evil that we do. And when we are sharing the gospel with people or teaching the Bible, there will be a, a temptation to water down the message for fear of offense. And that's a problem because you're not giving them the truth. You know, but like if we were topping up the coffee in the back of water and calling that the real thing, it might kind of taste like coffee, but it's not the real thing. We can be afraid at times that if a person is offended by the truth, that they won't want to believe in Jesus because we're being unloving. But here's the truth. Again, it's more of an offense to, to lie, to deceive a person about God's word, than to offend them by sharing the truth. doesn't mean we don't do it in a loving way or a kind way. We need grace and truth when speaking to anybody. But we need to be faithful to what God's word says. And Paul also says we must be ready to endure uh, suffering for sharing the truth. He tells Timothy he must be ready to suffer with, you know, for what he's going to, to teach. And maybe that's the deeper issue of why we can be afraid to preach the whole word of God. It's not just that we don't want to offend people. Like, I don't make it my goal in life to offend people, though I'm sure I do. It's more I fear what people would do to me with that offense. How people will look at us and judge us and think about us when we share the truth. Maybe they won't like us anymore. Maybe they'll slander us and call us names. Maybe they'll block us on Instagram. Maybe they'll hurt you. I've had multiple cups of tea flung at me when we used to do outreach in Red Square. It happens. People don't like the preaching of the gospel. And if we are afraid of man, and we simply want the approval of man, it's going to lead you to compromise the word of God. It's going to lead to a mishandling of God's word. But if we have an audience of one, if our desire is to the approval of God, rather than the approval of man, then we must simply preach the word. So that's how we can unfaithfully teach the Bible. 
cherry-picking verses to match a belief that we want to believe in. Reading our values, reading our beliefs into the text to make it match what the culture or what we want to do. But if that's how we unfaithfully handle God's word, how do we faithfully handle the word of God? It's by exposing what it has to say and letting it shape you. You know, we don't approach the word of God and say, I'm going to shape this again to match what I want. We, we humbly come before God's word and we say, Lord, shape me by what your word says and not the other way around. It's what's known as expos- exposition, exposing what's already there and making it simple, simply approaching the word of God, seeing it for what it actually says, what it said to its original audience and what that means for us today. Again, allowing it to shape how we view the world rather than our world shaping how we view the Bible. That's going to be the constant struggle for each generation is that this world is going to tell you you need to look at this book a certain way and the Bible will say, no, you need to look at the world a certain way instead. And so, do you know how the easiest way to expositionally handle the text to expose it? You You just pick a book of the Bible Maybe Galatians, because we're studying Galatians. You start in chapter 1, verse 1, and then you just go all the way through. And you do it again, and you do it again, and again, and again, and again. And sometimes you might slow down and do a few verses, maybe even one verse, and you really meditate on it, and you chew on it, and you find out everything that's in there. But then you go back, and you just keep reading the text over and over and over. You read really big, and then you read really small, and you make that the rhythm of how you go forward with God's word. Again, that's why we go through the Bible verse by verse as a norm in this church, and I get the irony that I'm doing a topical message right now saying why we shouldn't make topical messages the norm. But that's what we want to do. We want to go verse by verse. I can't pick a random text from Galatians and say, this is why I think it says, because you can say, well, actually, no, Danny. It says this before it. It says this after it. The rest of the Bible says this, so you can't make this stuff up. You're not going to pull the wool over our eyes. There's no room to mess about. Again, if I only taught topical teachings, and if you only teach topical teachings, or you only listen to topical teachings, where I I could just pick whatever verse I want to, I could preach on the things I want to preach, we can avoid the things in the Bible that are awkward that we don't want to talk about, we can... Again, try shape it to how we want, and we can go on our hobby horses and blow up like small doctrines and beliefs and make it the big point of Scripture. And if we do this, we never grow beyond our teachers. Like if it was simply the teacher setting the standard with topics, you can't outgrow that person because you can only go as far as they are. But when we approach the Word of God together, when we open it up together, we read through it together, It's not just a person, a man or a woman speaking to you. God speaks to you. And God can teach you so much more. God can speak to your heart. See, our words only go so far, don't they? I might want to speak to your heart. I might want to know what's inside your mind and be like, okay, I know exactly what's going on in that person. I'm going to speak to them. I'm going to bring them to repentance. But I can't do that. And you can't do that because we can't see beyond what we physically see, right? But God can look into the heart. And if we handle this word in such a way where we simply allow God to speak, he will speak 
into our hearts. The scripture itself says this in Hebrews. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give an account. So this book will speak to you in a way that no person can. And when we faithfully teach the Bible and we faithfully handle it, the Holy Spirit, he will take that teaching, he will speak it to our hearts, he will feed us, he will grow us, he will challenge us, at times he will rebuke us, and he will ultimately make us more and more like Jesus. And that is the goal. So again, we want to be a church that aims to faithfully handle this book, every verse, every word, every chapter, no matter how uncomfortable it makes any of us feel. And so for the time we have left, I want us to look at the few, the W's. If we want to be a church that faithfully teaches the word, well, who, who is this primarily for? What does this look like? When does it happen? Where does it happen? And why should it matter? So who? Who must faithfully teach the word? And who must be faithfully taught? Well, it's all of us, right? Paul's word in 2 Timothy isn't just for Timothy, and it isn't just for pastors, it is for all of us. We must all preach the word, and we must all reject false teaching that pleases us, our ears. Now, we don't all have the same capacity when it comes to teaching. Not everyone is called to teach children in the back. Not everyone is called to teach from a pulpit or to lead a Bible study or a home group, but we are all called by Jesus to preach the gospel, right? Doesn't Jesus say that in Matthew 18? He says to the disciples, go. Not just some of you go. To all his disciples there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So every one of you is called to be a teacher of the word. You are called to instruct people in it. So that's who has to do this. We're all in this together. What does faithful teaching look like on a day-to-day basis and faithful handling? Again, it means reading the Bible in a way that is loyal to what God has said. You, go, you read every word, not just the ones you want to read. And again, it means sitting under good teaching, purposely avoiding bad teaching. And it means that in our, our personal study and our public proclamation of the gospel, We need to stay aligned to what God says. We can't water down a message for the sake of people-pleasing. It can't happen. When do we do this? Well, we do it at all times, obviously. We're always meant to preach the gospel. We're always meant to be handling the word of God. You know, the Old Testament um, fathers and mothers, they are taught to teach their children for, for every situation what God's word says in line with this. But, you know, practically, it happens here, obviously. You know, what we want to do on a Sunday morning is set an example of how we handle God's word in the rest of the week. And that goes into the where. Where do we do this? We do it at home, don't we? We do it at church, during service, and we do it out there in the public. And though it's, it's great to do in here, and we can sit back and listen to the teachers, it was so lovely to listen to Andy last week and just be fed the words. This cannot be the only place where you get the word of God in your life. You need to start at home. Again, we, we model 
what God's word and the handling of it looks like here, but it cannot just stay here. It needs to happen in your home. Like, what good is this Bible on your laps or that app on your phone if you only read it two hours on a Sunday morning and those other 166 hours of the week, it's just laying on the wayside? It's useless to you because you're not using it. So that's the, the who, what, when, and where. Where do we do this? But as we go into, um, as we finish up now, I want us to give four whys. Why should this really matter to us? There are many examples of churches who don't faithfully handle the word of God, and they seem to be growing, and they're popular, and it's wonderful. Why should we care about how we handle God's word? So four reasons for you today. Four things to consider. And the first is this. When we read the Word of God and we allow it to be exposed to us, taking it at its word, it does something in us. It says, the scripture says it increases our faith. It brings about a blessing. In fact, in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, when he's writing the introduction to his book, he says specifically about Revelation, but by extension, the rest of scripture, that there is a blessing to those who read the Word of God to those who hear the word of God and those who do the word of God. Revelation 1 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. We are called as Christians to be a people who are blessed. And as we learned two weeks ago, when we looked at the example of Abraham in Galatians, it says that he was a blessed man. And those who follow after him in his footsteps by faith, they are a blessed people. That is what God has called us to be, people who are, who are blessed. What does it mean to be a blessed person? It means you're, not only are your sins forgiven, that you are in a right standing with God. That is where it starts. But it's someone who has an, a certain outcome of their life. They're like, the psalmist says, they're like trees planted by, you know, pools, streams of living water that in all seasons bears its fruits, that its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. If we want to be people who bear fruit for God, who live lives that please God, if we want to bless our brothers and sisters, if we want to live in a way where people see us and they see Christ in us and want to know him, then we need to be walking by faith in faith of who God is, what he can do, and simply believing that he will do what he says he will do. And this faith is built up by the hearing of God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And it's amazing. I, I so often forget it. Every scripture I hear throughout the week, every scripture you hear when you see when you read your Bible, every time someone says the word of God to you, God is doing a work in you. He is increasing your faith whether you realize it or not. It is a promise through scripture. And again, if we want to take steps for Jesus, if we want to bring his good news to Waterford, we need to walk by faith and we need faith. And so maybe the first question is, if you're struggling in your faith this morning, or maybe you're doubting who God is, the remedy is to get into the word, to keep getting into the word and to sit under faithful teaching, to study it yourself and allow him to build up that faith. If your Bible is closed and you're praying, God, increase my faith, and you don't want to open your Bible and read what he has to say to you, you're going to stay in that place. You're not going to go on. 
So that's number one. We care about this because when we faithfully handle God's word, he builds up our faith. Number two, the word of God is used to make us into the image of Jesus. If we expose the Bible in such a way, what happens is over time, we become a people who look more and more like Jesus. We care about the things Jesus cares about and we want to live a life that pleases him. And let me point you to a text that tells us God's word will do this. Uh, a video will show up on the board, but it's 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 17. The apostle says this to Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What Paul is telling Timothy in this letter is that being a Christian will be hard. Those who want to live a godly life will suffer persecution, he says. But he says, when we are facing that opposition, we must continue in the scriptures. We must continue to walk in what we've been taught. And we must realize that everything in this book is useful for us in becoming more and more like the people of God. There is no part of the Bible God cannot use to change you and to work in your life. All scripture, and we have to say that every bit of scripture, guys, is profitable. It will teach you. It will teach you about yourself it will teach you about who the Lord is. It will teach you about this world. And the scripture will reprove you. That means it's going to call you out on areas where you just need to cop on. And it corrects us, where it gets us back into the center of the road when we're veering off too far to the left or the right. And it says it trains us in righteousness. And I love that image here. It trains us in righteousness. You know, just as we train with like weights to build up our physical bodies and to make us strong. The word of God is like the ultimate barbell. And forgive that terrible analogy. But it is. It's something that will be used to build up those spiritual muscles, to build you up, to build up your character, to make you more like Christ. It makes us more and more aligned to a life where we walk with God in peace. And so maybe the question then is, if that's what God's word will do for us, when we examine our own lives, are we seeing growth? Are you the same person you were when you first came to Christ? Or can you see a change? Has the change maybe slowed down along the way? You know, there, there, there was radical change in me when I first came to Christ. And I was super passionate at the start and constantly getting in the word. But, you know, as time goes on, the passion for the word can, can wane at times. And I, there's a correlation for me between how much time I spend in God's word and how much he, he changes me. We, we need it. We need the word to be changed. So maybe if you're, if you're slowing down in your growth this morning, perhaps one of the reasons is how we're relating to this book. And if you continue in it, the promise is that God will train you with this book. He will make you complete. He will equip you to do the things that he has called you to do, to live out your calling. So number two, you have two left and then we're done. When we faithfully handle the Bible, it teaches us what to say to other people. 
That can be one of the biggest fears, you know, when it comes to like evangelism. I don't know what to say to a person about God. Like, how can I know what to communicate about the God of the universe? This word shows us how to preach the good news. In, in 1 Peter, it's a letter written by the Apostle Peter to a group of churches who are, again, are facing persecution for the faith. And what Peter ultimately encourages um, the Christians in this letter is, because of what God has done for you, because of who you are in Christ, live in such a way that when people see how you live your life, despite the hardships you're enduring, they're going to ask you what's going on. Why are you different? Why do you keep pressing on? Why are you hopeful despite the fact that life is hard for you. He says in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So we must be ready to share with others when they ask about our life, about our faith, why we keep going on with Jesus despite the things we suffer. And the answer for that, the defense we are to give is the hope that is within us. And what is that hope? It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's Christ crucified for your sin, giving you his righteousness, sharing in his, in his eternal life, and being with him forever. That is the hope we have. And where do we find the truth about the gospel and the truth about Jesus and the hope we have in him? It's in the word. It's very simple. It's in the word of God. So if you want to tell people the truth about what God has to say, we need to know what it says in here. And what's wonderful again is as we devote ourselves to the word of God, the Holy Spirit, he will use that when you're talking to people. If I count these times where I'm talking to someone about my faith, and out of nowhere, a scripture just comes up in me, you probably experience it too, and it's like, where did that come from? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit bring up the word that you have planted into your heart, using it in the right time for his glory. So again, God's word teaches us how to speak about him to those who do not believe in him. If we want to be effective evangelists, if we want to be effective witnesses and messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to be in this book. We need to handle it in the right way. And the fourth and the last reason why we should care about ha faithfully handling our Bibles, and to be honest, this one excites me the most. It, it's really simple, but it changes everything. We said it already, in fact, this morning. When we faithfully approach and handle God's word, what we come to realize is, again, our God has spoken and he has spoken because he wants us to know him. He doesn't just want us to do things for us. God wants us to know him like we know each other. And I want to read to you from Isaiah 55, where you see this one example of many examples in the scripture where God gives us the reason for his word and why he shares it. And that's to be known. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 to 13, it says this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprouts, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that it goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The Lord here, through Isaiah, tells us why he speaks. He says he does it to accomplish his purposes. And what is that purpose? He says it's to make a name for the Lord. God speaks so that we may look to him and know him and see ourselves in light of him and to love him all the more because of how good he is to us despite ourselves. There's an author, um, Jen Wilkin. She's an author in the Gospel Coalition and she has many books. And she says this. I think it really lands the plane on this idea of God speaking. She says, the Bible does tell us who we are and what we should do, but it does so through the lens of who God is. So when I read that God is long-suffering, I realize that I'm not long-suffering. When I realize that God is slow to anger, I realize that I am quick to anger. Seeing who he is shows me who I am in the true light. A vision of God high and lifted up reveals to me my sin and increases my love for him. Grief and love lead to genuine repentance and I begin to be conformed to the image of the one I behold. I think that was beautiful. God has spoken to us through his word because he wants us to know him. And when we know him, it changes everything. Doesn't Jesus say in the gospel of John he had come to bring eternal life? And he tells us what that is, is knowing the Son and knowing the Father. We cannot miss that. We can read the Bible all day, know exactly what it really says, know everything about the Bible and know everything about God and miss what it's all about. We can miss having life through a Son because we read this as a textbook and not a love letter from our Lord. So do you want to know God? Do you really want to know him? And do you want to know him more? And handle this book with the desire not just to know about him, but being ready to know him. In our pursuit of the word of God, we must never miss him. We must pursue him for who he is and for him alone. And so as we go into a time of worship today, I hope we reflect on What place does this book have in our lives? If God has spoken to us, are we in it again and again and again, reading every word, thinking about it, realizing that this is written for us, maybe not directly to us, but God has written this word for us today. And how do we increase in that? You just get stuck in. You pick up a Bible and you read it. If you don't have a Bible, there are stacks in the back with big letters, little letters. Take one, download it on your phone. Pick up a reading plan. There's ones in the back as well. You can find great ones on your phone. There's a bunch of books in the back front of that building, that library, that are there for you to take, to take home, read, and help you in reading the Bible. There's fantastic teachers out there. There's great podcasts. We even have teaching online. We have like a decade of teaching. Pursue the faithful handling of God's word. 
and it will change you as you get to know him. Amen? Amen. So we're going to go into a time of worship. How many songs do we have? Four songs. So what's going to happen is the first song is a song of this response where we just reflect on the word and allow him to change us. But during the second song, uh, we're going to start handing out the elements of communion. Because this is a family service today, we're going to take communion together. So as the lads pass out the bread and the cup, I'd ask you just to hold it, hold on to it. And after two songs, um, our brother Daniel is going to come up and he's going to lead us in communion. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you have spoken. And God, you want to speak to us. You want us to know you, God. Lord, what a, what, what a humbling Lord Tata is, that the God of the universe wants to know us. We thank you for that, God. We are so grateful that you have spoken to us, God, through many words and prophets, ways and foreign, but you have spoken to us, God, ultimately through your Son. And Lord, if you ever need to know, do you love us or are you there? We can simply, Lord, look to the cross of Christ and what he has done for us, the ultimate message of your love, God. Father, as you worship you, Lord, as you change us, as you give us a greater desire, not just for your word, Lord, but a greater desire for you. And God, may we follow you in the right way, and Lord, as we seek to change this city by your gospel for your glory. We love you, Lord. We commit our time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.